0: Am I there? Okay. Um, I bring you greetings from the Ugandan church. It's very important for us to send greetings and receive them. Uh, So the Vine Branch churches and many others have sent their greetings to you. Do you receive them? Great. I saw some heads. Thank you for receiving. Excellent. Uh, Throughout life, there are countless situations where we pray earnestly for something, I'll give you a pause to just think about that for yourself, only to find that God has something very different in store. It's easy to think about temporal things like a car or a home. It's harder when we think about. The real, real life impacting things. Remember in 1995, I'd saved for and bought a wedding ring for a girl not named Laura Beth. Can you believe it? And after she dropped me like a sack of potatoes, uh, I prayed earnestly that the Lord would redeem and bring that relationship back together for over a year. He did not. And I had to trust that God had something much better in store for me. I had to trust and come under a resounding no from God. I think there's no one in this room more happy for that than my children, uh, hopefully, because God sovereignly had something different and much, much, much better. In those moments, it can be very, very difficult because we can't see what God has in store. We know our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, the the battle that takes place within us. Often decisions that we make under compulsion where we feel like there's just no other option. It's often the wrong decision. And yet we pray because our Father says to pray. Pray. How do we pray and how do we understand when God answers us differently than what we hope or expect or what makes sense to us even in the moment? It's even more difficult to receive a no or even a wait when it causes hurt or pain to ourselves or to others, especially those that we love. It's even more difficult when we see someone suffering, and our prayer is directed to God toward healing or towards relief in a situation or some kind of needed change. We desperately want to hear God answer with a yes. But then he doesn't, at least not in the way that we think is necessary. Perhaps. The answer is even a no, a situation doesn't change and healing doesn't come or will not come. That is the life that we walk through in this world. I remember when we moved back from Uganda in 2021, it was difficult to watch so many lives of people that we loved hurting, ourselves included, the orphans that we worked with that Looked to God as their father and provider and protector, hurting those that we had labored alongside of and, and built into, hurting all because of what seemed like the sin of one man and the pride of one person. And I remember over and over, oh God, would you be glorified? Would you vindicate your great name? You who are the father to the fatherless by bringing this one to repentance. Lord, is that too hard for you? Because nothing is too hard for you. And it sure would, in my mind, be powerful for your kingdom being revealed there in Uganda. God said, no. I have a different plan. I am working good. How do we walk through life as a praying people, trusting our good Father, that He does delight to hear His children's voices crying out to Him, our God who hears and who knows our needs and the needs of those that we love, who does move and act in incredible and even miraculous ways, because that is who God is. How do we trust when the resounding answer seems to be no? especially when it makes no sense in the moment. Today we're going to look at how God confronted Abraham with a resounding no. And it was a no that would turn his world upside down. And we'll see that through the pain of the no, that God had something far better than what he expected or even thought that he wanted. We'll see how God does that. He does that with us over and over and over again. And through Abraham, we gain a great hope for the difficulties that we do face and encounter along the way in our own journey in this life together. So as we come into God's word, join me as we pray. Let's ask for his help. Lord God, how we need you, it has been so sweet to confess the great truths that you are the great Savior of your people. We get to praise God and praise Him, the one. The one who died for all our sin. The one who rose. The one who's victorious. The one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Who, who reigns over everything. And who takes us and makes us a people, children. You who delight to work in us and through us. And who delight to hear our hearts and our hurts and our prayers. And you who delight to bring change. In situations, God, we need you because there are so many situations that just don't make sense. Many here are carrying hurts and pains from what seems like unanswered prayers, and yet you are the God who always answers, you are always working. So, Lord, would you stir hope in us today? Would your word be alive to us today? Would you build this body today? By your spirit, we pray in Jesus name amen 2 weeks ago we journeyed with abram through one of the most difficult journeys he had yet taken difficult situations he had yet encountered and not talking about going down into egypt and a- almost losing his wife into a harem or becoming a slave to pharaoh even even worse than than in attacking army, coming from the north and just pilfering and taking captive, even his own nephew. And then in craziness, going after him with with far, far insufficient numbers. Abram, two weeks ago, faced the difficult situation of trying to solve a problem in his own strength and really having to deal with the cause of heartbreak and even potential irreconcilable division within his own family. That, that one, give me an attacking army out there, but irreconcilable division within my family, that comes into the heart. But God. we saw that through Hagar, god is the god who sees he is the god who pursues and he is the god who goes after the brokenhearted we saw that god's promises his promises meet us in the unknown and in the unexpected even when we take matters into our own hands even when we act in our own power god's promises meet us where we try to fix things and where we flee from things and he comes into that place and he reconciled hagar Back to Abram and Sarai. Amazing. Beautiful. But then we know nothing of what happens over the next 13 years. It's like we get set up for this crazy situation, and then it's just silence. When you go to the end of chapter 16, the last verse says, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So it ends, he's 86, and there is a child birthed. Then we go to chapter 17, and it says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. We're going, 13 years of just nothing. I really want some details. We don't get them. We just know that it was 13 years of living with Hagar and Ishmael, with Sarai, and all of the complexities that that brought into their lives. We come into chapter 17. There's a reason why it's stressing this 13 years later. In fact, the chapter is kind of sandwiched between that number. Look at the very end of chapter 17. In verse 24, it says, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. So it starts with these 99. God appears to him. It ends, he's 99 and he's circumcised. And so between the ninety-nine. We get this encounter with God. And it's this encounter that's going to take on, really, an introduction into it. And then it's going to be earmarked by three main sections. We're going to find that it's broken up in these three ways. In 17.4, it's, as for you, though the English doesn't quite catch the Hebrew there, but that's the phraseology, as for you, in seventeen. In 17.9, it's as, sorry, no, no. In 17.4, it's as for me. In 17.9, it's as for you. And then in 17.15, it's as for Sarai. So there's these three as-fours. And we're going to follow the framework as we journey with Abram through Genesis 17. So we come into the introduction right in in verse 1. God comes and he says to Abram, he appears and he says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. He introduces himself by a name. Now, in 16, Hagar named God. He is the God who sees. And here God names himself. I am El Shaddai. It's the first occurrence we see this this El Shaddai. Yes, if you're a Michael Card fan, feel free to sing out. Um, Love that song. He is the majestic and powerful God. And throughout the rest of Genesis, when we see El Shaddai or God Almighty, it often is linked into the coming of children or nations. Then he commands Abram to walk before him and to be blameless. My father-in-law loves this. He can preach for an hour just on that statement, what it means to walk before God and to be blameless. And I love the heart that's revealed there. It's the right response to one who is seeking to walk with God by faith. But for my ears, for many years, I would read that and it almost sounded like God is saying, I am God Almighty, so walk before me and be perfect. And yet as we look back on Abram's life, we recognize he was very far from perfect Really, the language draws us back to Genesis 5.22, which states that Enoch walked with God. But it says that Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah and he had other sons and daughters. As readers of Genesis, we understand that to walk with God is a journey of faith. It's trusting and believing the promises of God. We see that there's a linkage with Enoch to the having of a child. And then when we go into Genesis 6, we're again reminded that Genesis 6 verse 9 says of Noah, that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And then it goes on and it says, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So there's this Linkage back to Enoch, walking with God, the having of offspring, and and walking blameless in in, in life before God. Second thing, though, that we see in the Noah narrative, if we stay with me in Genesis 6 just for a moment, he goes on to say in verse 18, I will establish my covenant with you. And you will come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And then 622 says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And then we go to the end of, uh, of that section into chapter 9, and God makes the covenant. He reveals the covenant and he gives the covenant sign. And so Genesis 6 is kind of setting us up. Like as we come into Genesis 17, there's some signals going on here where we're kind of expecting, like, okay, all right, well, we've seen kind of a pattern here of, of this this language of promise is walking before God that leads to a covenant that's tied into offspring and that is sealed with a sign. So as readers, we're just going, okay, what's going to happen here in Genesis 9? We also recognize that Noah was not, or in Genesis 17, but recognize that Noah was not righteous because of what he did. He was righteous by faith, just as Enoch was righteous by faith. And Abram, we've seen is righteous by faith. And out of that faith will flow obedience. And we're going to see all of these indicators flow right through Genesis 17 as we walk through the passage together. And so we see Abram's great response in verse 3. What does he do? He falls on his face. That's it. And that's the right response to a holy God who reveals himself and it was entering in with language that you know is leading to something. You fall on your face, and he worships. And then God says, right into the first section God said to him, As for me, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. Now, this is a new twist, because in Genesis 12, God had promised Abram that he would make him into a great nation, a nation. In Genesis 13, verse 16, he promised that he would make his descendants as the dust of the earth. In Genesis 15, verse 5, that they would be as numerous as the stars. And now the promise goes even bigger, because I'm going to make you into nations, plural. You'll be the father of many nations, not just one. And then he says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. And so God seals this promise by giving Abram a new name. He will no longer be called Abram from this moment on. Abram, the exalted father, is now Abraham. The father of a multitude. And never again will Abram be used. In Uganda, when you have a child, you might be called mama of that child. So Laura Beth might be called mama Elisha or mama Noah. Uh, But that's not a new name. But if she gives birth to twins, her whole identity changes. She becomes Nalongo. I don't know if you've heard Elaine uh, be referred to as Nalongo. Uh, I don't, uh, or uh, Sherry, where are you? You also are Nalongo, aren't you? Okay. And, and Selongo is the dad. So there's now Nalongo and Selongo. That is who you are. You are mother of twins. You are our father of twins. And so we have uh, Kato and Waswa. Where are you guys? You also have names. All right, you are not Isaac and Ethan. You are Waswa and Kato. Um, And and we had fun calling them that in Uganda, but it's it's real, it's true. Like that is your name. You're given a new name, a new identity. It's who you are. And as God comes into Abram and he changes his name, it is in accord with a new identity. You are father of a multitude, many nations. God is the God of name, and he names him. And then third, he tells him, verse six, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into, into nations. And then listen to this. He says, and kings shall come from you. So he promises Abraham and it's so good to call him Abraham. Watch, I'll start falling back to Abram. That there is a royal line that is now coming. Kings will come. All right, and we've seen hints of this with Adam in the garden. He is a royal son, right, reflecting the true king. But here, it becomes very clear that this line, the line that's going to come through Shem now, through Abraham, is going to lead to kings. So there's a royal promise that we are now looking for and expecting. And as we watch that theme start to weave through Genesis, we actually see it at the very end of Genesis. As Jacob is blessing his 12 sons, which one will carry the royal promise? I'm looking for my middle and high schoolers. We just talked about this today. Who is it? Say it out loud quick. Which son, which tribe carries the promise? Judah. Ah, Judah, good job. It's Judah. And so we'll see the royal promise of kingship from Abraham go right to Judah. And of course, building to David of the tribe of Judah, building to Jesus. And so this is where it starts. It's just leading us forward. We love the story of Scripture. We love seeing how it fits together, how it grows and, and flows forward. And so God comes to Abraham and he makes him this promise, these promises, nations, new name and a royal line. But the greatest promise, the greatest, in my opinion, is found in verses 7 and 8, where God says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, listen to this, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan. For an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. you get those two pieces? I will be their God. I will be God to them, and they will be my people, my possession. That's who he is. And we find this echoed throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. So God comes into Abraham. And he just reaffirms and he expands the beauty of the covenant promises that are for him. And that leads us then into the second section in verse 9. God said to Abram, or Abraham, as for you, okay, as for me, as for you. And we go into this portion: you shall keep my covenant. You and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Alright, this is this is the sign of the covenant. Just as God put the rainbow or the bow in the sky, it's a sign of covenant. Here there is finally a sign, and it's coming. It's coming as an outwork of faith. Abram's believed, and now that is expressed in the obedience and the sign of God's covenant promises to Abraham and to his offspring. I'm so thankful that next week, Peter is going to preach uh, on circumcision, and it's uh, the the, the, beautiful, the beauty of circumcision into the new covenant. And so I'm not going to spend time here. But I do want to come into verse 14 because it does fit very well uh, in our discussion as we think about this aspect of faith and faith and obedience. Because verse 14 says, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And we go, wow. Wow. Okay, this is serious. And we're supposed to say, wow, this is serious. We have to ask ourselves, why would someone refuse to obey God in the sign of the covenant in pursuing circumcision? Why? Well, the answer is stubborn, rebellious, a heart that chooses to not believe and not obey. So that anyone who doesn't circumcised Their heart is revealed already as unbelief and rebellion at work in that heart. They're not walking in the faith of Abraham that would then lead to the obedience of Abraham that we'll find at the end of the chapter, because Abraham will obey this. He will circumcise. He will live it faithfully. And so those who refuse circumcision are shown to actually not walk in the faith and obedience of Abraham. They are not of God's people. They are removed from God's people. You could also go to the other side and say that that those who just think that being circumcised makes them of the offspring of Abraham, makes them God's people. That would be the other error. And we'll see how Paul's going to argue this as we get into the New Testament. Um, But the reality is, is that this is the sign. This is an outflow of the faith of Abraham and the faith of this covenant that he makes with Abraham and his offspring. And that leads us into really a third section. And the third section is not necessary because we could come from verse 14, this reality of those who would be cut off, that are breaking the covenant, and we could go straight down to verse 22. And if you look at 22, it says, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised in the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him and he was 99 years old. We go, wow, that was a great chapter. That was good, right? Look at what God did. Look at the expanded promises. Look at how it's leading us to the hope of the gospel, which fulfills all of this. But God doesn't do that. There is a very important third section. And it's like the whole thing is leading and building into this. We go to, as for Sarai, in verse 15. And this is the very, very unexpected. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. This is so significant. Remember Genesis 2? Who named Eve? Eve. Adam did. Adam, the head of his household, the head over creation, he names Eve. There's something very significant there. And of course, we find Eve, then the the whole of creation turning upside down as Eve makes her choice based on what she sees, what she thinks, what she feels. All right, takes the fruit, hands it to her husband. And we know the reality of Adam's rebellion leading into uh, the sin of the world, death in the world. Here, We're remembering the last time we found Sarai, she had a really good idea. Remember? Her really good idea that, why don't you take Hagar, my maidservant? And, you know, we think about that in sort of this repetition of, of a fall of sorts, all right, this taking matters into our hands, judging by what we think is best in our own eyes. And here God comes and he actually says, you are no longer Sarai. And God comes and God names her. It's like God is looking and saying, you are my bride. Like there is a greater husband, even greater than Abraham. And it's God himself. And it's God who has been with her. Even in her attempt to fix the problem of childlessness that she has faced. Even in the reality of how she has increased her own pain and childlessness. Through Ishmael and through Hagar, the reality of her own suffering by sin and her choices. For 13 years, she watched Ishmael grow. She heard Ishmael call another mama. While she herself had to face the hurt caused by her choice, and here God comes and he proclaims something new. You're Sarah. You're no longer Sarai. The God who made her is the God of promise. And he is the God of great reversals who turns everything upside down. The God who comes to us in our desperate need and in our sin. And he changes us. And he makes it clear to Abraham, Sarah belongs to me. He is her greater husband. He is her greater provider and protector. And he always has been. And so God comes and he proclaims a new name a new identity. And in verse 16 he says, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Suddenly these promises that were so great to Abraham are now being revealed as great to Sarah. And the Sarah has a beautiful part in this redemption story sarah is not a side character sarah is right there alongside of her husband and she has a role to play as god names her sarah and as god promises nations are going to come from you and then he says kings of people shall come from her and so that same royal line we are now looking at it to come not through hagar through Sarah. And so what does Abraham do? What does Abraham do? He falls on his face. All right? This is shocking. This is unexpected all of these years. Now, God, look at what he says. He says to himself, "Shall a child be born to a man who's hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old? Bear a child? It's like, it's, it's, it's absurd. It's so crazy. How can this be? It's mind-blowing. God, can you bring life out of a dead womb? Out of these dead bodies? Because we are old. And in all of these years of struggles and pain, God has never forsaken Sarah. He's been with her, working all things together for this moment. Just think about it. All of the years for this moment. You know, God could have 13 years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when he first promised to Abraham the great promises, at that moment he could have said, it will be through you and Sarah. And guess what? Genesis 16 wouldn't have happened. But God withheld that information. God didn't make it clear that it is Sarah, which left the doubt right there in place, which brought about the reality of 13 years of struggle and suffering, the reality of 13 years for this moment. And it's here that God reveals it. It's here that what wasn't clear is suddenly clear and it seems impossible. God, can you really do this? And God says, I'm gonna give you a son, buyer." Shocking and unexpected. Look at Abram's response. Even as he falls on his face, in the reality that God will overcome the death at work in her womb to bring life from the dead, he is El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. And in the face of that reality, Abraham has a plea. It's easy to pass over and miss it, but it's a crucial plea. It's crucial for every one of us seated in this room. This is one that you want to star and circle. Take a note next to it if you like to write in your Bible. Because Abraham makes a plea to God. And look at this plea. Abraham Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And we're all going, what? Didn't see that coming. Didn't expect that response. I expected, wow, after all this time. Hallelujah. Let it be, as according to your word. But what does Abraham do? He makes a plea for the son that he knows and the son that he loves. Because for 13 years, Abraham has been convinced somehow in the mystery of things that Ishmael is the promised child. Abraham's desire is that Ishmael would live in the presence of God. That Ishmael would bring the royal line. That the blessing of the nations would come through Ishmael. That Ishmael would live before him. Oh God, let Ishmael live before you. For 13 years, Abraham thought it was Ishmael, but he thought wrong. And God let him, for 13 years, think wrong. We'll sit on that for a minute. God let him, for 13 years, think wrong. He thought he was right, convinced, and he's wrong. It's easy to be so passionate and zealous for truth. I feel like we have to have it all sorted out, full conviction now, especially by the age of 22. And yet while we constantly pursue truth, we live according to God's truth, God is patient with us just as he was patient with Abraham. He probably shakes his head and laughs at us a lot because he knows that we have so much to learn and that our perspectives are so limited by our context, by what we perceive and no, and God graciously leads us to surrender our own thoughts and conclusions to him. He graciously leads us into truth, just as he patiently, graciously led Abraham to this moment. I think the Gospel of Mark paints that picture for us as disciples over and over again. The, the journey of a disciple is one who is ha- they're having their eyes opened more and more, more and more to the truth of who Jesus is and what it means to see him and know him, and what it means to follow him as a disciple. It's the journey of being a follower of Christ. And here, God's been patient with Abraham. He patiently listens to his plea. He patiently listens as he brings his longing before God that Ishmael would be the one. And then God comes and answers that prayer. He doesn't have to wait. He doesn't wait 13 years. God says right away in verse 19, no, but Sarah, your wife, it's not your servant Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you will call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you Behold, I have blessed him. I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He will father 12 princes, and I'll make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Wow. All of that waiting. All of that wondering, all of that open ended, your descendants will be like the stars of the heavens. Great. When? How? Just wait. You wait like you're gone today. You wait some good time. (laughs) There's some funny story there. (laughs) You wait some good time. He doesn't have to wait some good time anymore. He's waited. And this is the moment now. Because it's going to be this time next year, Isaac will be here. God is going to do something unexpected through Sarah his wife. Can you imagine being in Abraham's position? Your whole life just turned upside down in one encounter with God. Have you ever had to wait from God in hopes that He really does have something better planned for you? Have you ever had to submit to a no and receive by faith that God does see and He does hear you and He is working out a different plan than you hoped or expected because that's what God does here. He waits and at the right moment He turns His world upside down. Over and over again we have watched Abraham journey through the ups and the downs of life. We've watched him believe beyond what his eyes could see. We've watched him make decisions that appear wise on the surface, but are revealed as foolish in the end. We've watched God graciously and mercifully care for his son and build his faith and teach him to surrender and to trust. And then we watch him still make foolish choices. And yet God called Abraham to walk before him And to be blameless. Walk by faith and live out that faith and obedience before me. We know that Abraham could not make himself blameless before God. Abraham could not walk this walk. We've seen it over and over. He couldn't do it and we can't do it. And yet it comes into our face and we hear those words, walk before me and be blameless. We struggle to believe, to believe when our eyes can't see, to trust when the word is wait or even know. But the good news is that God had a plan that he would bring his son into the world, not how people expected, that he would take a a dead womb, Womb of a virgin and bring forth a son. Not, not, not. My wife, she's a loves birth. Not dead in the sense of like Sarah. Okay, dead in the sense of she's not married. She's not able to have a child. And God will bring life into that womb, and He will bring life where life shouldn't be. They will call His name Jesus. God will give him a name, a name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because Jesus was sent as the son who would inherit not just the land, but what the land was leading towards, a greater land, all of the earth, from the tribe of Judah. He would rule the nations, fulfilling the promise of God to Abraham to bless all peoples. And when this son, this perfect son, was in the garden preparing to face the hardest situation anyone could ever face. He cried out and he said, Abba, Father, I know all things are possible for you, right? You are all powerful. You are sovereign over everything. You are El Shaddai. All things are possible for you. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will but your will be done. And Jesus surrenders his will. He surrenders his desires. He puts them under his Father. But Father, if there's any other way, and the Father comes back and with silence says, no, this is the way. The way is to the cross because there is a greater prayer and it's a greater prayer that will be prayed. A greater prayer that says, oh, not that Ishmael might live before you, But oh, that sinners might live before you. Because how can sinners live before God? They cannot. Before God, sinners face the reality of judgment, the reality of the due penalty for our sin, the reality of our rebellion cut off from God's people. We are those of unbelief. We are those revealed. Oh, that sinners might live before you. And the Father hears that prayer and says, yes. Because Jesus surrendered himself in the garden. And he went and he died on a cross. And he took our sin. And he took our judgment. And he went into that tomb. Three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death and Satan, so that you and me would always, 100% of the time, when we cry out, God, will you have mercy on me, a sinner? The answer is always yes. Never no. 100% of the time, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the answer is yes. 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 And that we would receive a new name. And we get to bear the name of God's Son as royal sons and daughters of God. And that every prayer that we who have been forgiven by that yes, every prayer that we pray, every prayer uttered on our lips will be submitted to the Son, to His prayers on our behalf, our High Priest, Would be submitted to the Father's good purposes in our lives because, Father, all things are possible for you. So that, like Abraham, our no's from God would find themselves swallowed up in the greater yes of His faithfulness and His commitment to our good and to His glory. Every no is swallowed up in the yes that He is seeking our good and His glory even when it doesn't make sense, even when it doesn't work out the way we expect. Because God's faithfulness is always greater than our desires. No matter what it is that we bring before him, it's his faithfulness that is greater. It's not how earnest is your prayer. It's not how can you get God to hear you and do something for you. He delights to hear your voice. He delights to move on behalf of his children because it's his faithfulness To Abraham, his faithfulness to his son, his faithfulness to us. Abraham could receive and trust God's no because God's faithfulness was greater than his own faithfulness and his own desires. And you know what, guys, brothers and sisters, beloved, God loves us too much to simply allow us to settle for what seems best in our own eyes. He is working something greater he has called us into something greater where what seems like a no is always part of a much greater yes for christ and his glory what seems like a no is always a part of a much greater yes for christ and his glory like abraham god invites us into that radical life-changing reality it will turn our world upside down Maybe for you, maybe for me, whether it's two years or 20 years or 50 years, we surrender to the one in whom we have believed, the son of promise. We're going to come together to a table and we're going to see where God's no to his son provides a yes for you and me to approach God in love and in faith in trust and in submission where we see God's great yes on display, his yes for sinners, his yes for his children, the confidence that he hears us, the confidence that he is moving on our behalf, the confidence that even where it doesn't make sense, he is working good out of what appears to be the worst suffering because Jesus' death on the cross is the worst suffering the world could ever know. And yet the hope of resurrection and the hope of life directs our eyes and our gaze to worship the one in whom is our hope of life. Many of us here, we carry regrets from choices that we've made, like Abraham, like Sarai. Maybe they're regrets from sinful choices. Maybe they're regrets from choices that others have made. Remember, that God used a 13-year foolish detour for his own purposes. Because even Ishmael, which seems like a mistake, has a purpose. And God takes our mistakes, mistakes that are part of our story, unique to you or me, and he uses them for his unforeseen purposes in our lives. Was there a costly hurt to Abraham and Sarah? Yes. But God doesn't curse our mistakes. God didn't curse Ishmael. He actually said, I've blessed him. He shows how he can bring beauty out of what seems so ugly. At this table, we remember that Jesus became a curse for us so that we would receive his blessing, that we would receive his grace and then demonstrate that grace to each other. As we come today... Ask yourself, what disappointments am I carrying? Where has God failed to meet up to my expectations that I need to surrender to God today in hope and in trust of His faithfulness beyond what I understand? Or ask yourself, where is there bitterness in my own heart that I need to submit to God? Where do I need to receive his grace and mercy in order to forgive and love and trust? All right, as we come, we want to bask together in the truth that as we cry out, Father, forgive me, a sinner, the answer is always a resounding yes. You are forgiven and you are loved. Father, I just pray, Lord, in light of the great hope of Genesis 17, and the great beauty of you who works all things according to the counsel of your will, you who have, has a purpose in everything, that we would be sons and daughters who trust our Papa, who trust our King Father, that surrender and submit, Lord, that we cling to you when it doesn't make sense that we cry out to you for grace and mercy, where we know we don't have it in ourselves. We need it. It is from you. You offer it to us. And we look to you, Lord, because you gave your life. You died. You rose. And you have invited us into your great victory, where we can receive grace upon grace. And Lord, even as we come to this table, I pray that you would meet us in a very special way. Lord, you know the, the needs of each heart. You know those where there are seeds of bitterness. You know those where there is need for forgiveness. You know those who are carrying deep disappointments. May you turn those into hope this day, even as you turned Sarai into Sarah and brought hope unexpectedly. I want to look to you, Lord, and trust in you. For the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Um, deacons are going to dismiss. We'll come down uh, through these two rows and take, take the, the elements and go back to our seats and wait. And This table is for those who are in Christ. If you have professed Jesus, your your Savior, lo- your Lord. If He is yours, if you're in Him, this table's for you. If you're a, the, the one saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner, this table is for you. So let's come and and worship and enjoy uh, God here at this table today.